Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. My name is Phil Shields and I'm one of the pastors here. I have three quick announcements before we begin our time of worship. This past Wednesday, more than 135 kids came out for our official launch of Kids Club. It was incredible. Kids and their leaders played games, they laughed together, and we had the opportunity to spend time in God's word with them. We can't thank you enough for praying, as well as inviting families you know to be a part of this wonderful ministry. It's not too late to sign up your kid or invite a friend too. As a reminder, Kids Club meets every Wednesday from 6.45 to 8.15 and is open to kids in kindergarten through fourth grade. We're thrilled that so many kids have signed up, which also presents the adults and teens in our church an opportunity to join in the discipleship of our kids. Do you love kids, love Jesus, and want to have some fun? To learn more about serving in Kids Club, check us out online at wheatonbible.org slash kidsclub. If you're engaged or in a dating relationship and considering marriage, we have a wonderful opportunity for you to take part in our eight-week preparation for marriage class. There, you'll engage topics such as marriage God's way, finances, communication, forgiveness, and many others. Pastors and leaders from the church will join us along the way, and you'll spend some time in a small group as well as with marriage mentors, whose heart is to come alongside you in what you're learning. Many have already made this investment in their relationship, and they're glad that they did. You will too. The class meets here on Sundays from 1 to 2.30 in the afternoon, starting March 6th. The cost is $38 per person or $76 per couple. Check out wheatonbible.org slash marriage. Finally, we're looking for some members in our church family to serve on as well as suggest other members for the Elder Nominating Committee. This really is an important team because they prayerfully choose who from our congregation will be voted on during our annual meeting in January to serve as elders. The deadline to nominate a member for this committee is Sunday, February 27th. Forms to do so are located at the welcome desk in the atrium. If you have any questions or would like to submit names by email, please contact Donna Stone at dstone at wheatonbible.org. That's all I have for you today. God bless you as you begin your week and worship with us. Good morning, church. It's great to see everyone here today, as well as those of you who are joining us online. Psalm 18 says, I love you, Lord, my strength. The God, my God is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So this morning we praise God especially for his strength, his leading, his holiness. As part of God's church around the world, we value all sorts of different expressions of worship, whether they be cultural or different musical styles or different languages. And almost every week, Beth and Debbie Gottlieb sit here in the front and they sing and they sign using American Sign Language. And while Debbie's been sick for a few months, we want to let all the people that are unable to join us here in person because they're too sick, that we have not forgotten about you and we pray for you and you can continue to let us know how we can be praying for you because you are an important part of our body, even if you're not here in person. So while Debbie hasn't been able to be here, Beth is here and she's going to join 
join us on our third hymn and do sign language for us so that we can appreciate the beauty of that expression of worship as well. So stay tuned for sign language. Let's stand and sing together this morning.
Perfect in love, power, and purity. Such beautiful words, such beautiful motions. These songs have reminded us who God is and in turn have helped us to remember who we are in light of him. John 1, 8 through 9 says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's take a moment of silence to confess silently, personally, before God, and then we'll all pray together. Most merciful God, we confess that we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. What wonderful, blessed assurance that we have in Jesus. Let's stand and continue to sing.
today our sermon is on the significance of leadership. And as a church, God has called us to be strong in our blessed assurance and to lead our, each other in our world to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to teach you a song by Dr. Payne that is based on Joshua 1, 8 and 9. And then we'll sing another song encouraging us to rise up as the body of Christ and to prepare our hearts for our message today. So let's try this new song together. to 
Good morning, familia. Before the proclamation of the word, um, I want to invite you to do two things. Uh, number one, I want to give you a, a prayer request. I want to share with you a prayer request. Um, as many of you know, we have uh, a campus, uh, an extension of our church in, in Streamwood. It's called TVC, Tri-Village uh, uh, Church over there. And um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, within the last months, a few months, uh, we were informed that uh, the building was going to be put into, uh, into the market. It was going to be, it would, they're selling it, basically. This is the location uh, where Awana used to be. Um, now, we have been meeting there for six years already. Uh, so now we find ourselves in a very... Uh, interesting and awkward place because we don't know when, first of all, the building will be sold. 
to we don't know if the owners of the new building will allow us to stay there. And we don't know, as of right now, where we're going to be. Right? So we have been, as leaders of the church, we have been intentional about starting to look places, uh, have kind of a plan B, if you will. Um, but we do really need the Lord to, uh, to do something. We need a miracle. Either the miracle could be either that we sell the building, right? Actually, I'm thinking of another miracle that I will share with you in a second. Either that we sell the building and that the owners really like us and we stay there, right? Another miracle could be that, uh, that we find a better place and a better location, Maybe in a streamwood, but an even greater miracle is one of you guys buy the building, <laughs> right? And then we don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Um, so I want to invite you to please pray. Pray for TVC, pray for uh, this transition, pray for the building, pray for the new owners, pray for all of this. If, if you know people from the, uh, our tri-village congregation, you might want to give them a call. I mean, everyone is a little bit nervous about this. You, wanna, you might want to reach out to Pastor Eric. The, the campus pastor over there, you might want to uh, talk to some of the congregants and the leaders and the staff. Um, we are trusting that the Lord is going to do something, but that doesn't mean that this is an easy transition for us. So would you please pray? Now, the second thing that I want to invite you is to continue to support the church financially. As you know, uh, giving for us is an act of worship. It's an act of obedience, and it's an act of worship. And we, as a church, we are a church that loves to worship. Amen? We worship with our words. We worship with our actions, and we worship with our wallet. Is that good? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that in the midst of all these things that we go through, um, we can trust you and rest in you. We know, Lord, that you care for us much more than what we think you do. We know, Lord, that you care for this church much more than what we think you do. Therefore, Lord, I want to bring before you all of our congregants and church members that are struggling and going through different, different things and painful situations. I pray for your provision. I pray for your power. I pray for your presence. That in the midst of all of this, Lord, we cling to you and rest in you. Because as we were just singing, you are always with us wherever we go. Would you please show yourself to my brothers and sisters that are going through difficult situations? We bring before you as well, Lord, TVC, this beautiful congregation that you placed there six years ago. Would you please provide for us either a new home or this home with a new owner? Or just give us something, Lord, for the glory of your name and the well-being of your people in the streamwood location. And I also pray that you continue to make of us people that are generous. Not because we have to give, but because we like to give. As an act of worship, because we believe that you are worthy. We believe that the church is worthy. We believe that our mission is worthy. Would you please do that? In the name of Jesus we pray. And we all say? All right, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you who don't know me, um, and I want to welcome you all, whether you are here in person or worshiping with us online. Um, we are glad that you are here today. We have been doing this series that we have called Gospel Culture, in which we're talking about these 12 different biblical traits that help us define who we are as a church, that it gives us the things that we need to have in order to experience a spiritual renewal. And the tools also, at the same time, it gives us the tools necessary to remain faithful and fruitful. 
So far we have talked about the supremacy of the scripture, the centrality of the gospel, the power of prayer, the pleasure of worship, the pursuit of the common good. And today um, I'm going to share a, a message. Uh, we're going to talk about a topic that is usually not common on Sunday morning. We're going to talk about the significance of leadership. And it's usually not one of those topics that you preach on Sunday morning for three main reasons. Number one is for some people, if we preach, talk about this on a Sunday morning, it just feels weird because if I'm, if I'm one of the leaders and I'm talking about leadership in the church, it feels like if I'm, it feels convenient that I'm talking about this thing, right? Um, and if that's you, I just want you to just stick around until the end of the sermon to see why this is not an easy sermon to preach. The second reason why this might be feels a little bit awkward for some people is because of cultural reasons. You know, we have been part of a culture and we have been part of church history in which there is a misunderstanding about what biblical spiritual leadership looks like. So there's this tendency to either idolize leadership and just do whatever leaders say that we're supposed to do or, which is, I think, what the, 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 the one that is the most common right now, is to reject completely leadership. So on one end is to idolize it, and on the other end is to, re, to reject it. And the third reason why this is complicated a little bit is because of historical reasons. There might be a person or two here, maybe more, that have been the victims of abusive leadership. And if that's your case, I, I really, I'm really sorry that that's your experience. But that doesn't mean that leadership, spiritual leadership in the church is extremely important. So for that, we're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 9. And we're going to read then, jump into verses 17 through 19. Hebrews chapter 13, 7 through 9, and then 17, 17 through 19. So I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. And if you're still here, could you please say, I'm still here. Good, because this is a complicated topic. Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear uh, conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray again. Lord, we pray that you speak to us. And I pray, Lord, for me that as I speak this word, I do it not only with the power of the Spirit, but I preach it with the fear of God. That I may be bold to speak what the Bible talks about, but to do it with humility, because this applies to me more than anybody else this morning. Would you please be, be with us? 
In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, you may take a seat. I need you to do me a favor. I need you to look at the person next to you and tell this. Hannibal is in trouble. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> all right. These are the two questions I'm asking the text today. Why is leadership significant and why would anyone honor it? Now, don't think that because I have only two points, this is going to be a short sermon. <laughs> I'm going to spend 95% of my time on the first question, 5% the rest of the time in the second question. So the first question is, why is leadership significant? Let me start by quoting something that D.A. Carson said. The scholar D.A. Carson, genuine reformation and revival have never occurred in the church apart from leaders from whom devotion to God is of supreme importance. Dr. Carson says that the type of leaders the church needs, the type of leaders like elders, pastors, ministers, and even lay leaders, are not the most charismatic ones, are not the most gifted ones, are not the ones with the most experience and the most titles, are not the most successful in this world. Dr. Carson says, and I agree with him 100%, that the leaders that the church need, that the leaders that the Lord uses, are the ones that are obsessed with God, not with power, obsessed with his kingdom, not titles or influence, obsessed with the glory of God, not his or her own reputation, and obsessed with people. People that know how to love above themselves. And I want to show you that based on this text, which is kind of a job description, you find in this text alone six descriptions of what a spiritual leader is. Six different things that a spiritual leader is supposed to be and practice. And I want to walk you through those. And the first one of this is that Hebrews describes leadership as servanthood. Now, you find the word leader in verse 7 and 17. And when the Bible, at least in this text, the word leader is used, it's, it's used to describe someone that has spiritual authority, but not for lordship, but to guide and serve. Actually, the word leader there could be translated as guide. Someone with spiritual authority to guide and to serve. This will be one of the most radical differences between the secular mentality of leadership and the biblical mentality of spiritual leadership. Because the Lord does give authority to certain people. We're going to use the word power. God does give power to certain people, but not for self-serving, not to be recognized and adored, and not to have influence per se. The primary reason why God chooses some people and gives this spiritual authority to some people is to serve the church and to serve others. Don't you find that completely different to the secular mentality of leadership? Isn't this why Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 says to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, talking about the secular mentality, Lord over them, mean overpower them or exercise dominion over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. And then he said, not so with you. Instead, 
Whoever wants to become great among you must be the servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. See, I've never been seen in a secular job description. We are hiring you to be a servant and a slave. Never seen that. And yet, that's part of the job description of anybody that has been placed by God with some level of spiritual authority in the church. Leadership is servanthood. Leadership is servanthood. Imagine what would happen if any of us that have, been, that have received any, this call would actually live in the world like that. Completely countercultural. Listen to what John Stott in his book, Calling Christians Leaders, says about this topic. Power makes an immediate appeal to us today. For we live in a society that worships power, authority, influence, titles. The lust for, for, the lust, the lust for power has always been a distinctive of the human, his, of the human story. At least since Adam and Eve were offered power in exchange of disobedience. Still today, the three major human ambitions, the pursuit of money, fame, and influence, are all concealed drive for power. Indeed, we see this thirst for power everywhere. Power. It is, the most in, it is, it is more intoxicating than alcohol, more addictive than drugs. Power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. It seems like if Jesus knew something about the human heart. This is why Jesus makes it extremely, extremely clear that leadership means servanthood. Leadership means servanthood. The second thing that the book of Hebrews tells us about leadership it describes this as heralding. Verse 7 says, remember you leaders who spoke the word of God to you. The word speak in the text is not just about preaching. And it's not just about teaching. And it's not just about talking about the word. The word heralding, that's, a, that's the reason why I'm using the word heralding here. It's about this proclamation, this me sharing, this us sharing the word of God in everything we do. Meaning that we put as leaders the word at the center of everything. That the word of God informs, directs, influences everything we do. That the word of God is the primary tool we use to edify believers and equip believers according to Ephesians chapter 4. It tells me as a pastor, as one of the pastors... That the primary, my primary responsibility is to be a pastor teacher, not a CEO. A pastor teacher, not a visionary. A pastor teacher, not a great administrator. A pastor teacher, not someone that knows how to put systems and programs together. A pastor teacher, not someone that is interested in making the church relevant. Listen, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of those things. Actually, I believe that there's a lot of wisdom 
in taking from the common grace of God, the things that he has put in the world, and learn from them and apply them to the church for the sake of the church. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of that. But spiritual leaders could never forget that our primary call, our primary reason why we exist is to lead people to the word and from the word. Is to put the, the, the Bible at the center of everything. Is to preach it, teach it, apply it, to use it to edify and equip, and everything else is secondary. You heard that? Everything else is secondary. Because there's only power in the Word. That's a primary responsibility that I have, and pastors have, and elders have, and lay leaders have, and ministers have. The book of Hebrews also tells us, describes leadership as example. It says, remember your leaders. And then it says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That verse scary. See, when the author uses the word remember, he's not just using a term that we remember. Make sure that you don't forget that you have leaders. That's not what he's saying. The word remember in the original is more like keep thinking, keep in mind. And then he calls the church to consider, which is a very important word because he says it's almost like saying observe carefully, pay close attention to the way leaders have lived. And leaders live. Don't you think that that verse is scary? It says that one of the primary reasons why the Lord calls leaders, spiritual leaders, is for the church to see how the Christian life ought to be. Imitate their faith, the Bible says. Notice that it doesn't say that we ought to imitate the lives of the leaders. I think that part of the reason why the text doesn't say that is because our lives are different. Different stages in life, different things we like, different contexts, different families, different things. But what the author of the book of Hebrews calls the church to do is to imitate their faith. That if you want to see examples of what it means to be people committed to God, you should be able to see the leaders of the church. That if you want examples of what it means to walk with the Lord, you should be able to see that in the leaders of the church. That if you want examples of what it means to be quick to repent and quick to forgive, you should be able to see that in the leaders of the church. That if you want good examples of what it means to be people that trust the Lord, you should be able to see that in the leaders of the church. That if you want examples of what it means to persevere or to love one another or to love our neighbor or to be gentle or to be people of grace and mercy, we should be able to see that in the leaders of the church. The text says that leaders are models. Leaders lead by example. Now, just in case someone is assuming something that the text doesn't say, let me make this clear. The Bible does not say that leaders ought to be flawless or sinless. It causes us to be people of faith. 
that we model by the way we live, and we also model by the way we deal with our sins. See, one of the most uh, confronting things uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, actually, yeah, he said it to them in front of people, but he said it to people about them. He said, do what they say, not what they do. That's a crazy thing to say. Everything they're saying is right. Go ahead and listen. Just don't live how they live. I think that this is part of the reason why the qualifications for a leader, a spiritual leader in the church, are so high in the book of Timothy and the book of Titus. Here's a principle that I've learned about church leadership. People follow people. People don't follow titles. People don't follow positions. People don't follow experience. People follow people. Now, this is something that you probably, maybe you never thought of this before, but when you look at the qualifications in the book of Timothy and Titus about church leadership, almost everything, and I say almost because it's not everything, almost everything that is demanded, that the Lord demands from church leaders, is the same thing that he demands of the church. Almost everything there, almost every single little thing that God asked of his leaders is the same thing that he asked of the church. So why would the church, why would God call leaders to model that? Because of Hebrews chapter 13. We lead by example. The elders of the church lead by example. The pastors of the church lead by example. The ministers of the church lead by example. The leaders, the lay leaders of the church lead by example. We want people to see the God, the God we worship in us. This might be the reason why in verse 18, the author says this. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and a desire to live honorably in every way. It's almost like saying, could you please pray for us? That my conscience is clean. And that I give glory to God by the way I live. See, there's one thing that people forget about leadership. We lead by example for good. And we lead by example for evil. And the consequences of a bad example has catastrophic consequences upon the church. You know, when the Lord was calling me to this new role, that verse was the one that kept me awake at night. If I'm just a spiritual leader at home, I sin, and only my family is affected by that. If I'm a leader in my work, only the people I work with are affected by that. When I'm leading Iglesia del Pueblo, and if I sin... About 500 people get affected by that. If the Lord calls me to lead a larger church, church, I sin, the consequences of my sin affect many more people than that. Great power, great responsibility. That's what Spider-Man said. <laughs> and it's true. 
This is why Acts chapter 20 says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which Holy, the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. Be shepherd of the church of God. Notice the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. See, leaders lead by example because we are messing around with God's bride. By the way, if the Lord has placed you in a position of leadership outside the church, that applies to you as well. You lead by example. I was talking to one of my brothers right before the service. He was saying that, for example, athletes usually don't think about, you know, the influence that they have over the people that, they, that are watching them. And the phrase that they use is, well, I, I didn't sign up for this. And the reality is that we all signed up for that. If you are parents, you signed up for that. If you're an athlete, you signed up for that. If you're working anywhere, you signed up for that. You only have two options. You're either going to be a good example or a bad example. That's it. You want to know how the Lord spoke to me about leadership years ago besides the Bible? I was watching a movie, We Were Soldiers by Mel Gibson. And he's giving this speech right before he goes to work, and this is what he says. I'm going to be the first one in the field and the last one to leave it. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, that's a leader. Leading by example. The book of Hebrews says that leadership is shepherding. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange te teachings. And this verse is, is weird. These two verses are kind of weird because it seems like if the author is changing the topic. But verse 8 is a transition of verse between 7 and 9. And the gist of it is this, that God calls leaders to live by example, to shepherd, to care, to do all these things. Because if we don't do that well, the church can be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Part of the responsibility of the leaders, and this takes us back to the word, is to remind the church about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus gained, and what Jesus wants. All the time, at all times. You know why? Because we are quick to forget. Because we always struggle with spiritual amnesia. We need to hear this thing about Jesus all the time, over and over again. Why? Because the tendency of the human heart is to be carried away by false teachings. Leaders are shepherds, not only because they are providing care for the sheep, not only because they're feeding the sheep, but because they're protecting the sheep. The primary responsibility is, and I know this is going to feel personal, and believe, and believe me, it is. The primary responsibility of the church leaders, spiritual leaders, is not to talk about politics, brothers and sisters. It's not to talk about sociological philosophies. It's not to talk about traditions and preferences. It's not to talk about whatever people think is important to talk about. You could do that in your small group. Outside. But as a church, we talk Bible. Even if it makes us uncomfortable, we talk Bible. Like, that's the reason why I'm preaching this sermon. The book of Hebrews talks about leadership as stewardship. Now, this might be the most difficult verse in the entire section. 
Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now, this is family, right? How many of you guys ever struggle with the word submission? Can you raise your hand? I love it. We're being honest, right? I just struggle with it. It's, a, it's an uncomfortable word. And part of, the reason it's an, part of the reason why this is uncomfortable is because uh, there's a whole baggage that comes with that word. You know, in the near future, that will be one of those politically incorrect words. Still in the Bible, so we still got to use it. But that's not how people see it. And I understand that this is a, a complicated word, once again, because of church history. Abusive power, uh, corrupt leadership, all these things. But I want to make the argument, church, that submission is not a bad word. And it's not a word that we should erase from our Bibles. Or even replace it for something else that looks and sounds nicer. You know, the Bible, part of the reason why I think that this word is not a bad word is because Jesus submitted to the Father. I don't know about you, but if the Son of God did it, we should have an issue with that. You know, the Bible calls um, us, all of us, to submit to our authorities. Government authorities, as long as the government is not asking us to violate our faith. Right? The Bible calls married people to submit to one another. And then it calls the wife to submit to the husband. It calls children to submit to parents. It calls employee, employees to uh, submit to employers. It calls the church to submit to one another and to submit to leaders. You know what our problem is? We like some of those, not all of those. As a parent, I always love to quote this verse on my girls. But I didn't like some of the other stuff. Everyone must submit to everyone or to somebody. There's no such a thing as a life in which you don't submit to anybody. That's a secular mentality, not a Bible mentality. Therefore, we really need to understand what the Bible means by submission. You ready? Submission does not mean unconditional obedience. That, it's important that you understand that. Submission does not mean unconditional obedience. Because if a spiritual leader asks you to do something that violates your faith violates your conscience, is harmful to you or anybody else, you don't have to submit to that. You know why? Because we submit to God first. Therefore, I cannot go to anybody and say, you must submit to me. I can't do that. Submission is not about that. You know what the word submission means? You ready? Here we go. Million dollar question. Submission means trust. Submission means learn to trust the spiritual leaders that the Lord has placed in your life. Submission means that if the Lord has placed a person in your life as a leader... That leader is not there for his or her gain. That leader is there to serve, 
to teach, to instruct, to be an example, to shepherd, to feed, to protect. And therefore, we must trust. That's what submission is. But you know what I learned? In my short life as a leader, people don't like that. I don't like that. Because there's so many bad examples of bad leaders that the culture is telling you, do not trust anybody with power. That might be true outside the church. And that might be true in some churches. But I pray that not only me as a leader get to be the description that I'm talking about, but that the church learns to trust the leaders of the church. Because that's how the church ought to be. Here's one more thing. Notice, you guys are going to love this. Watch this. Notice that the Bible does not say that the leaders must demand submission. Did you notice who the author is talking to? The author is not talking to the leaders and saying, hey, make sure that the congregation understands that they got to submit, okay? Go ahead and preach this sermon. That's not what he's doing. He is addressing the congregation. He is addressing me as, 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 as the sheep. He's calling you and calling me to submit to somebody. And I hope you know that as a church, for example, I must submit to the elders. That's a good thing to have. Everyone submits to somebody. Submission means is to willingly giving somebody else the right to serve you, to teach you, to instruct you, to be an example, to shepherd you, to protect you, and to correct you. See, my, my daughters don't like that. But they need it. This is not something we demand. It's something that the church willingly gives. Now, why? Why you should do it and I should do it? It's in our church. Because at the end of the day, I have to give an account of how I lead to the church, to God. I'm accountable to him. The elders are accountable to him. The ministers are accountable to him. The pastors are accountable to him. The lay leaders are accountable to him. That's scary. I, I, I don't know why would anybody want to be a leader. This is why leaders are stewards. This is not our church. This is God's church. The church does not belong to the leaders. The church belongs to God. The church belongs to Jesus. The Lord entrusts broken people to lead his church. To serve, to care, to protect, to guide, and to lead. Look at how 1 Peter 5, this is one of my favorite verses when I think about shepherding and being a pastor. 
verses 2 and 3 puts it. It's kind of a summary of everything that I have talked about. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Why would anybody want to be a leader in the church? That's the question. Why would anybody accept the call of being an elder? Why would anybody want to be a pastor, for goodness sake? Why would anybody want to be a minister? Why would anybody want to be a lay leader? Why would anybody respond to this? The job description is crazy. This is the answer. Number six, leadership is calling. This is such an interesting verse, verse 17. Do this, talking to the church, so that their work will be a joy. You know what that says? You guys got to be nice. That's basically what it says. <laughs> Not a burden, for that will be of no benefit to you. So at the end of the day, if this become a, a painful relationship, it's not good for me, it's not good for you. That's basically, that's what it says. So he's addressing the congregation, but with the same verse, he's addressing people that have been called to ministry. You know what that verse tells me? That when the Lord called me to ministry, I knew that there will be times of joy and times of pain. It is expected that if he calls you to ministry as an elder, pastor, minister, and lay leader, there will be times of joy and times of pain. I, I could tell you before the Lord that that has been my experience. The best times in my life, by far, well, most of the best times in my life, by far, have been being part of the church. My worst times in my life has been being part of the church. That's all to be expected. You know why we have this dual thing? Because I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and we live in a broken world. but we stick because it's a calling. Jesus in John chapter 10 talks about these two types of spiritual leaders. The ones that treat their calling as a job and the ones that treat their calling as a calling. The ones that treat the, 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 this as a job, when the enemy comes, when the wolf comes, they run away. You know why? Because at the end of the day, they don't care about the sheep. That's what he says. If it's me, if I'm in a position of leadership about me, my, my admiration, my recognition, my title, my money, whatever it is, when problems come, people fly. But when it's a calling, you try to imitate the good shepherd, the one that lays down his life for the sheep. That's my calling. That is the calling of all pastors. That is the calling of all elders. That is the calling of all ministers. That is the calling of anybody that the Lord calls into some level of a spiritual leadership. Leadership is significant because it's servanthood, heralding, example, shepherding, stewardship, and calling. So the question is, why would anybody honor that call? 
Why would leaders honor this? And why the congregation should honor this? Let me speak from a leader's perspective. We honor it because we know that at the end of the day, this call is all grace. It's an evidence of God's grace. Nobody deserves to be called into leadership. No one should feel entitlement. No one is good enough. No one is truly qualified. It's all grace. It's God's calling. It's the abundant grace of God that wants to use, show his power in leaders and through leaders. So at the end of the day, people don't say, wow, Hannibal, you're awesome. But the people say, God is awesome. Why would God use a person like Hannibal? And the answer is, for the glory of his name. But there's an implication for the congregation as well. On one end, that you, you can't idolize leadership. you got to have realistic expectations about leaders because we're broken people. We are not God, you know. He is God. But at the same time, he calls the congregation to honor leadership. Once again, we cannot ask you to do that. We cannot force you to do that. But God can. So if it's in the Bible, at least consider it. The second thing, what I think is important here, who are the people that honor it? Let's talk about leadership. For leaders, this is a privilege and a great responsibility. As I mentioned already, we are dealing, taking care of God's bride. This is Jesus' church. He laid down his life for this church and all churches. The implication, though, for the congregation, listen, is that you don't get to date the church. You ought to be present with the church, and you ought to be members of the church. You know that word, this, this topic of membership is also one of those bad words nowadays? Actually, church expert, experts say that if you want the church, listen up, this, this is crazy. If They say if you want the church to grow, you should stop talking about membership. This is church growth experts. And every time I hear an expert saying things like that that, come, that goes contrary to the scripture, it makes me want to preach it more. Church grows because God wants it to grow whenever he wants to. So when people say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, it's like saying to one of my best friends, hey, bro, I love you, but I really don't like your wife. That doesn't make any sense. When people say, I love the church, I love Jesus, but I, 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 don't, I don't love the church, I don't, I, don't, I don't like the church. It's like saying to you, I'm saying to you, man, I really like your face, but I really don't like your body. That's offensive, people. We are the body of Christ, therefore membership is not an option. How else do leaders know who they're responsible for? How else do you know who are the examples that you ought to follow? How else do we practice accountability? Who's taking care of your soul? So if you're not a member, don't worry. We're going to help you become a member. 
And if you're not ready for that, that's okay. But you got to pray about that. Because this is not something that is an option for Christians. It is possible to be a Christian without being a member. But I guarantee you that your Christianity cannot flourish unless you are embedded in a community. And you got people over you, loving you, serving you, being an example, shepherding you, being good stewards, people with a calling. May the Lord grant us to be the church that he wants us to be. Amen? Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, I'm so grateful that you call me into ministry. But I'm so grateful that I get to be of the most important, most beautiful institution in the world, which is the church. Laura, we don't want to take this for granted. We want to honor you and honor your word by loving the church as much as you do. At the same time, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that you continue to raise among our midst leaders and pastors and ministers and lay leaders that would actually live out the gospel and the implications of the gospel. Lord, in the midst of a culture that don't know how to trust people with leadership, I pray, Lord, that you help us trust leadership and respond to leadership. And I'm speaking to me. That we may people that be able to see and find how beautiful you have created the church to be. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we all say. We close our service today by asking God to lead our church into our next season. Let's stand.
So before finishing the service, I want to remind you that on Tuesdays, as a staff, we, we gather to pray for you, and sometimes we gather to pray with you. So if there are, are any prayer requests, please let us know. It is a privilege and a blessing for us to bring your names and your needs before the Lord. So if you want to let us know what your prayers are, you can use the QR code uh, in front of you. Click on that thing, and we're going to get your prayer. Amen? And the second thing is we want to receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees and promises his church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. We love you. You are sent.